0: Everybody, this is Mark. Welcome back to another episode of this poor pastor's podcast. I'm glad you joined me today. I hope you had a good week, or I hope you're having a good week. If you're listening to this before the weekend or after the weekend, whenever you're listening to it, thank you. I really mean that. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the love, nature, and character of God. Specifically, I want to talk about some conversations and some discussions that I've had lately around this idea of God needing to break you or to hurt you or the idea that you just are a inert tool in the hands of an omnipotent sovereign God and so you know he can do whatever he wants to do with you does God even want to use us interesting question I'm gonna talk about that today and why I think it matters and why I think it's important. I hope you'll stick with me. It might be a little bit rambling, although that won't be my intention, but it's more of a coffee table discussion. So grab a cup of coffee and let's talk. I'm gonna get into it here in just a moment. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's get after it. It's really important to most people to paint a picture that God is the biggest, greatest, conceivable being in the universe, in the space-time continuum. I agree with that idea,
1: that he's the best. God is awesome.
0: Unfortunately, it's been my experience both which I've participated in and set underneath a lot of, that much of the preaching and social media representation of this is problematic to me. For example, I grew up hearing things from the pulpit that said, God never uses anybody until he bruises them. Have you ever heard of that? God never uses anybody till he bruises them. And you know it's true because it rhymes, uses and bruises, right? But other things that don't rhyme are said as well. Like God never uses a man greatly until he breaks him greatly. And and, and this kind of idea. This is a troubling concept for a lot of reasons. But I remember listening to this and in the environment in which it's preached, it sounds... It sounds accurate because it's usually followed up by stories of tremendous tragedies that entered into someone's life and how God used them as a result of those tragedies. And therefore, um, inductively, we make the the leap that then God must have done the thing which caused us to be hurt. And because of that, uh, then we recognize that, you know, God obviously doesn't use people unless he bruises them. And I can remember as a young teenage boy and as a young adult, pastor even, spending time putting myself on the altar, if you will, and saying, oh, Lord, I want to be used.
1: So. Hurt me. Break me. Um,
0: I think. That the idea of molding and making is different than the idea of bruising and breaking, but it's so often the case that this theology or mentality exists that God has to somehow break us before he can use us. I think there's one glaring problem with this, and that's that, to me, from my perspective, Scripture says just the opposite. For one, it's not at all evident from a perusal of Scripture that the people God used the most had to first be broken by Him. Now, it's true that some that God wanted to use had to go through a process, um, of humbling themselves, but not even in that case. I mean, it would be, you'd be hard-pressed, I think, in my mind to make the case that David, a man after God's own heart, that what God was saying is that David is a man after my own heart, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to hurt him first before I, can, before I can use him. All of the pain that came into David's life at the hands of God came into his life as a result of corrective behavior for wrong actions on David's part that had nothing to do with God's desire to use David as motivating those actions. And I want to ask whether or not that's a caricature of God that we really want to give to a world that is hyper-conscious of people in, in, in positions of power Bruising and breaking people. The Bible teaches that God is a God who is a defender, a healer. He's a God of life, not death, of growth, not um, inhibition. I don't mean that in the sense that you do whatever you want, but God, uh, God grows, He doesn't diminish. That the breaking, the death, the hindering, the chastening, like that, those things happen as a result of our rebellion or our sinfulness, but are not a necessary contingency in order for God to use us. And it's hard for me to reconcile why some people believe that the, the God who heals broken people first has to break them before he heals them. Remember, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans said that there were people who were saying of him and his crew something that he said would have been justly condemned if it were true, but it wasn't. And that was that they were going around saying as their mantra, let us do evil that good may come. And he said, whose damnation is just? He said, it would be wrong to say to do that. We know that it's wrong to do evil, that the ends don't justify the means if those means are evil. So, many of the examples that people give in their stories of God breaking them so he can use them are examples of things that are evil, unnecessarily painful. So, if your uh, spouse dies and then God, you feel like God uses that and multitudes of people are led to Christ as you share your testimony, you might say, so look what happened because my husband died or my spouse died. None of these people would have been saved if my spouse hadn't died. And implicitly, if not explicitly, what some are saying or thinking is that, well, then I need to be happy that my spouse died because it was necessary that they died in order for these people to come to Christ. And that is what a lot of people believe, that I have to somehow rejoice that God, one, killed my husband, God killed my spouse, Because he needed people to get saved. And so if he was going to use me to do that, he was going to have to bruise me and break me first. So he killed my husband. That would be evil, though, to do something like that. God doesn't do evil so good may come. Why couldn't it be true that God entered into your suffering and redeemed your suffering, a suffering that he did not cause? And redeemed it so that you could see some good come out of it in your willingness to share your testimony and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a redemptive purpose rather than anything like indicating God did it so that X would happen. God does A so that B happens.
1: You see, the the tacit
0: implication that God brings about evil for good reasons on people who have not done anything to deserve the evil because he can't use people until he bruises them is not a caricature or, or a, an, a representation of God that I'm at all interested in. I don't think it's one that the Bible teaches. You see, the Bible says of Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, that a bruised reed he won't break and a smoking flax he won't quench. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll bust you up first before I use you. No, God's message was one of hope and healing and health and care. There's nowhere in Scripture that I know you have some proof texts, but the, the scripture doesn't teach about a God who says, now, if I'm going to use you first, I'm going to have to bust you up. I'm going to have to break you. Well, someone says, well, what about humility? And I'll come to that in a minute, but I want to ask you a question. This is a bit, it, this is very emotive and I'll grant you, it's a very, very um, emotionally charged thing that I'm about to say, but I think it's important because it goes to the heart of, of the issue. What if in my wisdom as a father, I saw my daughter drifting from, from me? Or what if she wasn't necessarily drifting, but I just knew that we could have a deeper relationship? And so I hired
1: someone to physically assault her.
0: Because in my wisdom, I knew that I could enter into this suffering, which I caused... And as a result of that, even though I'm the one that caused it, I can ignore that fact and not really tell her that, but I can enter into that and and have a closer, stronger relationship with my daughter. Now, if Mark Foster does something like that, you are justified in saying that is a moral monster. That is an evil thing to do. To... Bring evil into your daughter's life just so you can have a closer relationship. Well, wait a second, I say to you. Having a closer, stronger relationship with my daughter is good for her. So I'm justified in bringing evil into her life. To which, if I made that argument on in any court of law, somebody should say, while having a stronger relationship with, with her father is good for most daughters, arguably... A father who would do something like that is not a father worth having a relationship with. Off to jail you go, sir, and I think you'd be right. But for some reason, we attribute to God this, this, uh, this blank check, which God never asks us to do, by the way, and say, well, while it would be wrong for Mark to do that, God can, but God can do that. We can't do evil that good may come, but God can. Now, God does bring about destruction in people's lives. But in the scriptures, it's always as a result of stubborn, long-term rebellion. And it's a corrective measure. But God says those who follow him and those who seek him will receive good at his hand. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But what I'm expected to believe is that God's reward is a black eye. I want you to hear me, and you can find 10 other people today who will tell you just the opposite of what I'm saying. So let me say it, because not a lot of people are. God doesn't
1: hurt people in order to use them.
0: God, like any good parent may bring necessary pain into someone's life, but necessary pain is not the same thing as evil. God doesn't do evil. He doesn't hurt someone for no other reason than so that he can use them. God is a God of redemption. God is a God of love. And love works no ill to his neighbor That's why love is the fulfilling of the law. And God is love. God seeks the greatest good for the objects of his love. And so God doesn't hurt. Well, wait a second. Someone says, what about Jesus? God broke Jesus so that he could use Jesus. Yes, that was voluntary. But let me remind you that Jesus was broken on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to be broken.
1: God doesn't call out to the
0: people. I'm just, mm, let me think of what I'm trying to say here. What are we saying to young people when we stand on a platform and tell them, God won't use you until he breaks you first? What do we mean by that? Well, if we take the stories that are told as an example, we're telling young people that to be used by God is going to require Um, some great tragedy to enter your life or the loss of a loved one or some tremendous illness that comes into your life. Like God doesn't use people who are whole. He only uses broken people. Now it is true that God uses broken people, but it is not true that God breaks those people so that he can use them. He uses broken people because he's a redemptive God who enters into the evils and sufferings of this world. And brings about great good. Well, so what about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul who said, you know, that this thorn in the flesh, which is what people love to use. Well, Paul had a thorn in the flesh that God gave him. Okay. One, it's not at all clear that... God gave the Apostle Paul the thorn in the flesh. I mean, he does say it was the messenger of Satan. Now, the word, it's the only time that word is used in the New Testament, and it can also be a messenger of adversity, uh, the Satan, is, uh, is an adversary. So it could have been the message of adversity, which could have been then given to him by God. But you'd have to be presupposing, again, the idea that's behind this philosophy, the idea that everything that happens is somehow the doing of God. Nothing happens to you, but what comes across God's desk first? I don't believe that. That's not true. And so you'd have to believe, you, you would have to believe that. I don't. But... Even if I grant you that God is the one who gave Paul this uh, messenger of Satan or this messenger of adversity, it's also true that Paul prayed three times for God to take it away from him, which meant at least initially Paul, who was a Pharisee and who knew God and had met God you know, in visions and, and dreams and so forth, Paul thought that this was something that God should take away. So he asked God three times to take it away. And then God said, what we all know, my grace is sufficient for thee. Therefore, Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And God said to him, my strength is made perfect in weakness. That doesn't mean that God demands weakness, but we all are weak in some sense or the other. But I'm getting ahead of of myself. The purpose and the question that never gets answered or never gets asked when people talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh is this. Why did he have the thorn in the flesh? And here's where the apostle Paul said, it was given to him lest he should be exalted above measure because of the abundance of the revelation. Here's my opinion for what it's worth. It's at least worth thinking of because you're going to hear 10 other guys tell you not even address this. It is my belief that the Apostle Paul had an inherent tendency towards pride. He was a Pharisee, and I think you can make the case early on in Paul's ministry that his pride and arrogance were inhibiting his ministry. And if not for the help of Barnabas, I think Paul would have um, Paul would have uh, desperately um, failed. Early in Paul's ministry, he had an arrogant view towards the towards the other apostles where he said, you know, I don't care who they are. God doesn't regard any man's person. And then later in his life, he said, I'm less than the least of all saints. You see, Paul grew. That's something we forget when we read Paul's letters, is that Paul didn't write all of these letters on the same day. They represent decades of Paul's life and his growth in the Lord. And he said, I was given this thorn in the flesh because of my tendency towards Paul pride you say well anybody with that got those revelations would have that tendency to but not everybody in scripture that that received revelation also had to receive a thorn in the flesh but paul did and the fact that paul did isn't an indication that everyone does he didn't make that argument But Paul uh, had this. Maybe this. Maybe this was truly a messenger of Satan, designed to get Paul off track. And God used that to keep Paul humble. Maybe it was something that God gave to the apostle Paul. The point is, it wasn't given because that's the only way God works. Is He gives us thorns in the flesh so He can use us? This was something that was given to the apostle Paul because of his tendency towards pride, and so that he wouldn't be lifted up with pride, he was given a thorn in the flesh. Let's remember that his name was Saul turned Paul. And let's remember to what happened to another Saul many years, many, 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 many years earlier. I think Paul and the, both of them were of the same tribe, by the way, which is interesting. And there was a, another Saul who was, who was called by God, whose pride brought him low and ended up causing God to be sorry that he'd ever called him. Maybe there was, maybe there's some connections to be made there. But the truth, but the point of the matter is the apostle Paul understood why this thorn in the flesh came his way. So that leads us to to this idea that sometimes God may interject necessary pain, though never evil. And by that I mean, if it's evil, it's evil. It's not not evil because God does it. Saying that God can do something just because he's God is to say nothing at all and is to rob God and his word of all meaning. We are held to standards of justice and righteousness because they are they are God's standards of righteousness and justice, which He holds Himself to. And in the and in the prophets, when the when the people of Israel were, were making claims. Of, of injustice against God he said bring your arguments to me and those arguments are on the basis of the very principles of justice and righteousness that I have that I have revealed to you God nowhere in scripture says that I'm God I can do whatever in the world I want and you can't say anything because I'm God. He says, I'm good, which only means something if we understand what good is. He said, I'm just, which only means something if we know what justice is. Not another kind of justice, but the kind of justice God has revealed. And there are times that we don't understand how something God does is just, but we can know that if we knew all the details, it would be just, but God never brings evil. God doesn't hire people to uh, assault his daughters so, So that he can have a better relationship with them. He doesn't do evil that good may come. But he does bring chastening into our lives, necessary pain at times, if it's necessary, but it's not necessary in every case. The book of James says that if we humble ourselves in the sight of God, he will lift us up. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to, to you. Did you know that there's nowhere in the Bible that says God that that god will humble you god can humiliate you but only you can humble yourself i know and that's going to make my, Refor- my my reformed uh, friends just have a cow but the bible says you humble yourself and then god lifts you up if you refuse to humble yourself well then god can't use you and he may need to humiliate you but if we come to god with a with a humble heart and a desire to be used if you purge yourself from those unusable uh, aspects, then you make yourself a vessel meet for the master's use and one that he doesn't need to break. It is not necessary that God breaks you in order to use you. What a horrible thing to say to a world that is beaten and bloodied. Come to God and he'll beat you up a little bit more, but don't worry. It's so he can use you. When we come to God with humility, when we come to God with love, he uses us. He is the healer, not the breaker. He is a healer, not a breaker. But it's also, this tied to this is also the idea that we're just inert, um, lumps of, of stuff that God uses. I'm not sure God wants to use you. I'm not sure he wants to use me. I think he calls us to work with him. The Apostle Paul said, We are laborers together with Christ. Another place in the book of Acts, or maybe in one of Paul's letters, he said, The Holy Spirit was working with us. It's the word synergy. Uh oh, uh oh. That word synergy, well, the word synergy is actually a Greek Bible word. Your word monergism is not a word. You Calvinists that love monergism, not synergism, you call synergism heresy and monergism is the only right thing. Ignoring the fact that synergy is used in relation to God and man working together. Monergism is not only not a Greek word, it's not even a real word. It's a fake word that was created for theological purposes only. It doesn't exist. It's a fake word. You made it up because of your doctrine synergy and synergism is a real world it is a real word outside of theology and we see it at work in the bible god calls us to work with him this goes all the way back to the garden of eden where god instead of doing everything or just picking adam up like a hammer and you know or like a a marionette puppet in the back of his head he brought animals to Adam to see what he would call them he told man be fruitful multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it he calls us to work with him and God gets angry when nations and leaders and people uh, rebel against his good purposes and don't work with God to accomplish those purposes God doesn't want to use you he wants to work with you when someone says to me, I'm just thankful that, that I could be used by God, all glory goes to him. Yes, all glory goes to him. But can I just stop here? Would you guys stop using Latin phrases as if it makes you more pious? Sola Deo Gloria, you know, sola scriptura. Why don't you just say by faith alone? Or why don't you say sola fide, say by faith alone, say all the glory goes to God. Using your little Latin phrases doesn't make you any smarter or any more pious, but it sure sounds like it, doesn't it? So go ahead and keep doing that. But yes, God receives the glory for what is done, but he also gives people rewards based on the work that they do. Well, which one is it? It's both. It's synergy. I am working. I'm doing everything I do to the glory of God. And then God says, let me give you some rewards for that. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, which makes zero sense if he's doing it all anyway, and I'm just an inert hammer. You don't give a hammer a reward for being a hammer. But you do reward people for their labor. God doesn't want to use you, my friend. He wants you to work with him. He's calling you to enter into his labors and to work along with him. To submit yourself to God and humble yourself to be used. And I just want you to know... God's not waiting around for that to happen so that he can bring pain and suffering into your life to make you more usable. Pain and suffering enter into all of our lives. But for every person who has allowed God to redeem their suffering and bring about great good there have been people who have had the same suffering enter their life and nothing good has come out of it why because god doesn't break people in order to use them if that's true he's doing a really crappy job of it because a lot of people are never being used after that it, it just destroys them but god is a redemptive god when tragedy strikes when hardship arises God can enter into that suffering and redeem those purposes for amazing things if we will allow him to do so. And to bring ourselves to God and say,
1: what can you do with this, Abba? What can you do with this?
0: And he says, let me show you. So if we're full of pride, if we're full of rebellion, we can expect chastening in our lives. But those who come to God with a humble heart and a, and a zeal and a desire to serve him, let's stop telling people that God has to break you in order to make you. He has to break you in order to, to, to use you. God doesn't do evil that good may come. Stop terrifying young people to think they have to, get, they have to tell God, it's okay if you kill my parents or you kill my spouse or you give me cancer. I just want to be used. Do any bad thing you want to do to me. That is not our God. That's not the way he presented himself in Old or New Testament. To be obedient to God and to labor with him is to experience the abundance of blessing. And when evil happens, God says, I can do something with that if you want.
1: But that's redemption, that's not
0: intention. Do you see the difference? I hope that you see the difference. And I, I would love to talk more about that, but I'm trying to keep these things to 30 minutes. I hope that's given you some things to think about. I just want you to know that God loves you. He's not trying to break you. and Say, well, God's really going to use me. Look at everything he's bringing into my life. God could use you. And everything that's happening in your life can be a part of that. But God is going to use you if you assume, if you come to him and say, "Let me let me work with you, Abba. Let me be a part of your plan. What can you do with this? I'm just going to lay down here like a hammer and say, beat, be, beat something with me. It's not, it's not that. Not that at all. The Holy Spirit labors with us. We are laborers together with Christ in his vineyard because he's a good God who uses broken things, but he heals. He doesn't break. He only breaks when there's rebellion and pride. And if that's not your heart, you have nothing to fear from God. You don't have to accept abuse because someone told you that's the only way God uses us. A horrible picture of God. It should die. It should be gone. It should be done. (laughs) Anyway, everybody, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it so much. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, ThisPoorPastor at gmail.com. I hope you have a great weekend, a great week. I'm thankful for you. We'll talk again soon. Bye now.